0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. It's episode 103 of the podcast, and it is truly, truly the most wonderful time of the year. It's the holidays, but more importantly, it's time for the World Juniors. And we are going to preview the entire World Junior Championship for you today, going team by team, talking about some of the most important topics, and also talking about some of the favorites, some of the top point producers, some of the prospects to watch it is going to be a thrilling tournament in Gothenburg, Sweden. Flow Hockey will be there. We won't be streaming the tournament, but we will be covering the tournament exclusively uh, uh, You know, with, with great coverage, with feature stories, with videos, with all sorts of analysis that you can enjoy and help you better follow the tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've been putting out a lot of Team USA content, a lot of Team Canada content as well. But we'll be covering the tournament as best we can from on the ground to give you all of the pertinent information of the players that are really the ones that are kind of taking off and and making this tournament what it is. So really excited to get going. Um, As a result, because we're going to be overseas, um, this will be our last Talking Hockey Sense for a while. We're going to take a couple weeks off so we can focus on the World Junior Championship. So it's really critical for you to right now go follow all the Flow Hockey social platforms at Hockey on most at flow hockey tv on tiktok and you can absolutely uh, find tons of coverage already there and then there will be a bunch more while we're on the ground in sweden full hockey with two people on the ground as liz child our new content creator will be with me you'll be able to see her in some of our content as well and uh, really excited to get things moving and get going because uh hey there's a lot to talk about and we're going to start with Team USA. That's where we got to start today's episode because as we talked last week, Canada's roster was announced a couple of hours after we finished recording. So we got pretty much everything in there that wasn't outdated. Team USA, however, their roster is announced full analysis over at flowhockey.tv. But we'll talk a little bit more about Team USA in terms of this tournament. So the U.S. roster has 25 players on it, Only 23 can be active. So that means two players, likely a forward and likely a defenseman, will have to sit out and not be part of necessarily the games unless somebody is injured. One of the players that we weren't sure would be on the roster, but absolutely is, is Rucker McGrordy. And when you think about the recovery timeline that he was facing, very indeterminate, very undetermined, not sure what was going to happen with his health. He was in the hospital for over a week dealing with the injury that took him out. Um, And now he is currently Team USA's captain. They announced that on Wednesday morning that he will wear the C for this team. So he goes from non-contact jersey uh, to, you know, is he going to play? Will he? Won't he? And now he's Team USA's captain, which is a pretty good indication that, yes, he will play. Um, We'll see if he's ready to go for game one. That still has not been determined. I have a, a strong inkling that he will not be playing in the pre-tournament games unless team USA is supremely confident that, that he won't get further nicked up uh, going into the 26th when they play team Norway. But Rucker McGroity is team USA's captain. They have four alternate captains as well. Cutter Goche, Lane Hudson, Ryan Chesley, and Gavin Brindley, all returnees from last year's team. So team USA's leadership group is intact and it's led by Rucker McGorty, who is on the roster and ready to go. So, we haven't talked about it since the roster was made. I was at Team USA's camp last week. I was able to see everything that was going on um, and kind of get a sense. So if you were looking at the roster and you look at the cuts, probably the most surprising one is James hagan's 2025 draft eligible, was trending towards a spot possibly in Team USA's top six. And that's really where he was going to have to play if he was going to make the team. There just wasn't a lot of opportunity available to him to find other places, especially with McGrady healthy. It allowed them to structure their lineup in a way that they felt was better for this tournament. And I think they also wanted to go 19-year-old heavy, which you hear a lot about. You want to have a, a higher average age in the tournament. It seems like those teams tend to do better. It's amazing what one year of development and experience can do for a player, especially in this event. And Team USA will have seven returning players. So there weren't a lot of forward spots up for grabs but James Hagan's not among them doesn't change the fact of that he is a supremely talented prospect does not change the fact that he's very likely going to be one of if not the top pick in the 2025 NHL draft just a remarkable player and really was in it till the end but why is he not on the roster well team USA one of the big questions we talked about in our previous episode is Cutter Goche a center or a wing? I think in camp it was determined he is a center. He's going to be probably USA's number one center between McGroarty and Jimmy Snuggerud. And then you've got a second line of Gabe Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard, a line that is always in intact. And then you also have a third scoring line with Isaac Howard, Frank Nazar, and Gavin Brindley. So that's why, you know, it's, it's that's a hard lineup to crack. If you look at Team USA's top nine, top nine forwards right now, eight of them are first-round draft picks. And the only one that isn't is Gavin Brindley, who has picked a couple picks into the second round last year. So we're talking about one of the most elite top nine groups that we've seen for this team. And you also have to keep in mind that Logan Cooley is currently in the NHL. So could have been even better than what we see now. But the way that the U.S. has structured its forward lineup, that's the group. They're going to have some extras. Uh, They're going to have speed and size at the bottom of their lineup, one or the other. You've got Danny Nelson. Uh, who had a really strong camp, stood out in all the practices and all the compete drills and all the different things. He's on a power play unit. Um, Very intrigued to see where he progresses and if he continues on this path for uh, for Team USA, where he's playing a significant role. Um, Even as a fourth line player, that's an important role because you're often going to be killing penalties or you're, you're in special teams or you're doing matchups, different things like that. So you got Danny Nelson, Gavin Hayes, Oliver Moore, Carry Terrance, and then Quinn Finley. So which of those players is going to be the extra forward? That is the real question, uh, which will not, you know, the player that won't play. Um, Quinn Finley was getting a lot of PK time, seemed like he found himself a role there. You know, will it be between Kerry Terrance and Oliver Moore? That's possible where, where we're looking at. Um, I think both of them have great speed. Both of them can kill penalties. Both of them can provide offense as well. So Team USA's forward lineup is really going to be interesting. So needless to say, the forward group is stacked. It is absolutely stacked. So we uh we we fully expect that Team USA will have the deepest and most, you know, on paper, best forward group in this tournament. Where we've talked about a lot is how they were going to structure their defense. Well, they ended up taking three left shot defensemen and five right shot defenseman in this tournament, including Aaron Manetian, who uh, was you know, kind of one of the guys that wasn't in summer camp, but played his way on. He looked great in Team USA's uh, winter camp. I think he played his way onto the, the roster in that camp. He does have a pending suspension in Hockey East, but I've been told by USA Hockey sources that they do not expect him to have to sit out any additional time um, even though he does have a one game suspension, a lot of the, the double IHF does in some cases honor the suspension of a league, but usually that's in severe cases, um, from what it was explained to me. So, um, in case I led anyone astray before, uh, on Aaron Minetti and that's there now, but I I'll tell you, he, he really did shine in camp. And I thought that, you know, as that was progressing, I was like, I don't think they can cut him because he looked really good skating really well. Will he be the extra defenseman, though? That's the question. Is it the one that doesn't dress necessarily? Um, and, and that's possible because I think Team USA has pretty well established their top four uh, on the blue line. And that top four is Lane Hudson and Ryan Chesley on your top pairing. Zev Booiam and Shabas Casey, two guys that play a very similar style, much more offensive-minded. You know, You do have some concerns. Are there any defensive liability situations there? Something to think about, but then you've also got you know Drew Fortescue, who I think has played really well, great mobility, good left shot, shut down defenseman. Will be on the PK. You know that's a guy that that I think Team USA is excited to have on here as one of the younger guys in the group. And then after that, you also have a really intriguing player in Eric Polkamp and Sam Rinzell, who who is Team USA's biggest defenseman, not necessarily known for his defensive prowess, but I think he's improved greatly in that area. And that way, you know, team USA potentially could have him as the seventh, maybe Polkamp camp is the seventh, you know, but I do think Polkamp camp is more likely to play a regular role. Um, You know, so there's a lot of options there, not a big blue line. Most of their, you know, when, when most of your players are sub six foot, you know, that's, that's certainly not going to be a very big blue line. You know, Ryan Chesley drew Fortescue going to get a lot of those shutdown duties, probably playing a lot on the penalty kill and things like that. The focus for Team USA is are they going to be able to defend the interior well enough against some of the bigger teams? Finland has big forwards. Czechia has big forwards. The Slovaks have some big forwards as well. You know, are they going to be able to defend the interior well enough against those guys? And certainly Canada um, has has a lot of size on their side as well. So that will be the question. But I think that USA is a little less concerned about how they answer it because they're so excited about the goaltending that they have. Trey Augustine. Jacob Fowler, Sam Hillebrandt are the three goaltenders that we'll be going over. Obviously, Augustine and Fowler are the two primary goalies for Team USA. It's 1A, 1B. I think, you know, Trey Augustine is the incumbent starter. He has a very good year at Michigan State. Jacob Fowler, great year last year with Youngstown in the USHL. Outstanding year so far with Boston College, maybe playing even a touch better. Uh, than Augustine this time around, but I really think the experience that Augustine has is not to be uh, overlooked, and I don't think it will be overlooked, uh, but you also have to expect that Fowler is going to play some games in the actual tournament. Team USA has two pre-tournament games. The first is Thursday against Sweden, and then they'll play Saturday against uh, Canada, and actually it was just announced today that that game will be streaming live on ESPN+, so there will be a way to watch it. We did not think there would be, but if you wanted to watch USA-Canada, um, you know, there's your free plug ESPN plus because, you know, if you want to watch this team before they go into the tournament, they will uh, be available to watch there. And so really excited to see how they stack up, how they structure the goaltending. You know, does one of them get Sweden? Does one of them get Canada? Does Sam Hillebrandt get some some minutes just to to see what he's all about as a bit of an unknown commodity coming in as the number three goalie? Uh, but, you know, I think that this U.S. team, the the you look at that lineup, You know, and I I think a few weeks ago, I said that Sweden was potentially the favorite. You know, I would potentially lean Sweden. Uh, Now that you see USA's roster, and especially after seeing them in camp, knowing what they have at the goaltending position, knowing what they have at the forward position, and knowing that they have a mobile blue line that is going to keep puck possession in their favor more times than not, I think it's a gold or bust year for Team USA. And if you ask the players, it's a gold or bust year every year. But I think really for this particular age group, especially the 2004s that have been through it a few bit a few times, this is a gold or bus team, and I feel like it's built that way. The decor, you know, doesn't match the forward group in terms of the balance, the 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 quality, uh, but it does have a lot of elements. And I think that the U.S. coaching staff has been effusive in their praise of their D- decor. They have the three top scoring defensemen in college hockey they have two really good shutdown guys including one guy that was on the team last year and ryan chesley fortescue had an outstanding under 18 world championship you know so that's they, they they feel strongly about the group that they have and they should they really should it is a gold or bust year for team usa and i often don't pick the u.s because you you know like look at when we're when we're making predictions about the world juniors in the history of the tournament USA has lost the gold medal a whole heck of a lot more than they've won it. You know, so that is, it's, it's, you're just playing the odds a little bit. I think on paper, I think the mentality, I think the coaching, I think the goaltending, that is why I think Team USA is very much the favorite for this year's gold medal um, in an outstanding team. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Canada. We talked about them a lot last week in terms of what they are. So if you haven't listened, go back to last week's episode, you might get a little bit more information, but now that we have the full roster and an update um, that is going to allow us to talk a little bit more about team Canada. Same, same questions we had before is the goaltending going to be good enough? You know, is, is it going to be Mathis Rousseau? Is it going to be Scott Ratzlaff, uh, Samuel C. Hilaire, like which of those guys is going to take the reins? And, in years past, Canada's goalie has come out of nowhere. We saw last, you know, a few years ago, Devin Levi. Nobody knew who he was practically. I mean, I, you know, if you were, they they knew he was a late draft pick. They knew that, you know, that, and that was about it. Um, but then he comes in and he plays outstanding hockey. And then, you know, you you had um, some some great goaltending last year as well. So you know, this is a team that finds a way, and their goalies tend to find a way. So it's it's not always as big a problem as we think it's going to be concerning. Yes, but not a, not a huge problem. Canada did get a pretty nice boost this week. The Boston Bruins announced that Matthew Poitras, their star rookie is going to be loaned to team Canada. Um, And, you know, you always wonder if it wasn't team Canada, how many of these guys were going to get released for this tournament? Um, Because Poitras had played very well at the beginning of the season. He had made his case to stay in the NHL Um, you know, his, 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 his role has been diminished slightly, uh, for team, uh, for the Boston Bruins, but now he goes to Canada and he can be a top six forward. He can play in a, in a substantial role. He can be a key player and Canada is very, very light on experience. Owen Beck is the only player on this roster that has played in a world junior championship before, and he only played three games last year. So he's on the roster. You don't have world junior experience, but now you have a guy that's coming off of NHL experience. Between him and Tristan Luno, you got two players that saw a significant NHL time this year. A number of other players saw some NHL time, like Matt Savoy. So, you know, there's you've got that experience factor kind of mitigated because you're getting a guy that's coming from the best league in the world, which really helps. Um, so, you know, I think that up front... Canada is not as overwhelming in terms of what they could be. Obviously, no Bedard, no Benson, um, you know, no no Adam Fantilli. So they're missing a lot of the key guys from their birth year. But this is still a very competitive team, and we talked about last week. Don't underestimate Canada at the World Juniors. We've seen teams that were underestimated that won this tournament outright, um, and you know they they always seem to find a way. So there's always some sort of magic. Um, the other thing that Canada has, in addition to having Poitras, in addition to having a big blue line and a, and a group that I think is is it, it has enough offensive potential to, to, to scare some teams, I really do think that Macklin Celebrini is going to be one of the key players for Team Canada. He's going to be one of their best players. And by all accounts from the camp, he was one of their most exciting and most skilled players at their camp. So we're talking about a 17-year-old player potentially being your best player. It's not the best situation to be in, but that's just how good Macklin Celebrini is. And for him to be able to come into this role, that is a dangerous player that they have at their disposal. You think about guys, Alexi Lafreniere had a dominant year in his draft season at the World Juniors, really set that tournament on fire, even though he was injured for a portion of it. Um, You know, you, you think about different guys like that, but really that's the level of of impact that I think Macklin Celebrini can have, despite the fact that he's younger than Lafreniere was in his draft year, and that he is going to potentially be a number two center, maybe even have to move to the wing for Patra. Um, I think he's going to be, by the end of this thing, he's going to be playing a heck of a lot of minutes and playing a substantial role in whatever Canada ends up doing. So I think that this Canadian team, while not as enticing as previous teams, let's make no mistake, they're still very good. They've got a very intriguing blue line. You think about the size they have back there, the balance, the guys that can defend, the guys that can play offensively, like Denton Matechuk, you know, Tristan Luno, who's got that good two-way capability. You know, that is going to be a team that is a tough out no matter what. And they will be tested early and often in this tournament, opening the tournament against Team Finland. And they will have a pre-tournament game against the United States on Saturday, as we mentioned. Um, And so we'll get a great look between those two rivals and a pre-tournament game. And I've seen enough Canada, USA pre-tournament games to know that even though it doesn't count, try to tell that to the guys playing in it. So that should be an exciting one. All right. Now we move on to the tournament hosts and we are talking Sweden. So the Swedes are going to have one of the best teams on paper, outstanding decor, Very intriguing forward group, a good mix of size, skill, um, grittiness, uh, guys that have had success internationally. The reason that they're such a threat, you look back two years ago, the Under-18 World Championship, Liam Ogren, Noah Oslin, and Jonathan Lakaramaki just dominating the Under-18 World Championship and leading that team to a gold medal. Don't have a lot of golds at the U18 level, but this team has, has led them there. Um, You know, obviously last year they they challenged a lot of these guys, a lot of returning players. They challenged the U.S. in a bronze medal game, one of the wildest bronze medal games we've ever seen. USA ultimately ends that one in overtime and wins the bronze medal. Sweden has typically had one of the best teams on paper in this tournament. It happens pretty much every year. Yet when they get to the big games, they have fallen short. Last year it was against the Czech Republic, losing in overtime um, in the semifinal you know, it seems like once they get to that semi-final stage, that's where things can really start to go wrong for this team. But this is a group that has had that international success before. This is a team that hasn't necessarily experienced the faltering. They did lose last year. Some of the players that are on this roster, like Otto Stenberg, lost last year in the Under-18 World Championship to Team USA. But that's, you know, that's the way hockey goes sometimes. So, you know, but Sweden was very much in it. They outplayed the U.S. in that game. So... There is going to be a hungriness, and I do hope that we get to see the last act of this age group against each other because this Finland, this Swedish team and USA, if they, I hope it's whether it's the semifinals, whether it's the gold medal game, whether it's a bronze medal game, you do hope these two teams get a chance to play to against each other again because they have had some absolute wars that have been super entertaining to watch, and I, I hope we get another uh, episode of that. But Sweden is going to be... One of those teams that's just a very tough out in this tournament. Um, you know, you think about the, the the three guys that I mentioned earlier, but then you have got Philip Biezet, you got David Edstrom. You know, you've got some guys with some size, and you've got some strength down the middle. Um, you know, you've got experience, and then that blue line. You look at Tom Olander, Axel Sandin, Pelica. Um, you know, Elias Salomonson who I think has really made some significant strides as a as a defender. Um, you know, and and a physical one at that. That's key. But there's one X factor on this Swedish roster, and that's goalie Hugo Haviland. He's the guy that won them the gold medal two years ago at the Under-18 World Championship, stole it right off of Team USA's uh, neck right there with his performance. And he's undrafted, he's undersized, but he's an incredible competitor, and we've seen him play some real significant games in his career already. If he is indeed the number one, and I think he will be, I think that he's you know the de facto starter of this birth year, Hugo Havelid very well could be the difference between Sweden winning the whole thing and not because he is that good. He can steal games from teams, and if he does it here, that's a name that you're going to hear a lot more going forward. Not necessarily as an NHL prospect because he is still an undersized European goaltender, which they those guys have a real hard time getting drafted, getting looked at, getting signed. Um, but this is a guy that I think you know if, if Sweden's going to do it. The goaltending is going to have to hold up and he ha- have will more than likely have to be that guy. So now I want to talk a little bit about the dark horse. And if you know, if you've been following any of my world junior coverage for the last little bit, you know that I am very high on Slovakia. And particularly this group of Slovakians, when you look at Dalibor Dvorsky, Philip Mayshar, uh, you know, Maxim Sturback, Adam Guyon, and net, they have a lot of the pieces. Um, That will allow them to be especially competitive. And I think that this team in particular, the Slovakian team, they feel it. They know what they know what they have in front of them. They know the opportunity that exists and that, hey, they could potentially finish as high as first or second in this group. You get into the right crossover games and all of a sudden you got a chance. They were a goal away from beating Canada in the quarterfinals last year. And if Adam Guyon plays even close to what he was last year at the World Juniors, they are going to have a chance in every game they played. They did upset the U.S. in the preliminary round last year. And then you look at this lineup and you say, if they're healthy, if they're going, they've got a chance. You know, they've got eight or so drafted players or nine drafted players on their roster. Um, You know, they don't have Simon Nemich who is age eligible, but uh, you know, potentially not going to be released by the New Jersey Devils to play in this tournament. So that puts a lot of pressure on Maxime Sturback who has been playing in uh, at Michigan state. So Michigan state, by the way, four players from their program are in the world junior championship. You've got, uh stirback here Tommy Manisto for Finland and Isaac Howard and Trey Augustine for Team USA and shockingly enough the last player to play for Team USA for that was a current Michigan State player a current Michigan State player was Justin Abdulkader in 2007 so think about that it's been that long 17 years uh since they have had a uh, a a a player in this tournament. And also the fact that when we say 2007 was 17 years ago makes me feel real old. So there's that too. But anyway, you know, I think the Slovakian team, like Guyon's really the key. If he's playing on the top of his game, they have a chance. But then you look at the forwards, you got Dalibor Dvorsky, Samuel Hanzek, Philip Mashar, Martin Mishiak, Yuri Pekarczyk, um, you know, guys, Alex Ciernik, Adam Sakora, Adam like guys that have some experience, guys that are drafted. Guys, you know, they've got a good mix of size, they've got a good mix of skill. Um, and you, you know, you know, we've seen Dvorsky play at the top of his game, we've seen Hanzik play at the top of his game. You know, if he's healthy and going, they are good. And this team is good. And any team that looks them over or or looks past them is in real trouble there. Also should note they've got one guy that's draft eligible for 2025 on their roster, Luka Radovojevic who is the son of Bronco Radovojevic, who played in the National Hockey League. He is a 16-year-old defenseman. He is currently on the roster. We'll see if that holds. Uh, he is playing in Sweden in the U-20 ranks there, but just a name to know for Slovakia on top of all the others that we just mentioned. And that is a team that I think has is a legit threat to medal in this tournament, a legit threat to medal, one that should not be taken lightly. So normally when we do these, we're talking USA, Canada, in whatever order, Sweden, in whatever order. And then usually the next team is Finland. This year, I do think Slovakia is the better team on paper. So Finland now relegated to the here. And a lot of this is dependent on, will Joachim Kamel be loaned out from the Milwaukee Admirals in the AHL? He was not on the initial roster for Finland uh, for what they named the 25-player roster. Um, You would have to think that if he's available, they're taking him. He's one of the great goal scorers of this age group um, and certainly one of those guys. But there are there have been instances where teams felt better about their prospect staying with their AHL team to continue to getting the pro reps, to not take any steps back, to not fall into any previous habits they were trying to get the player to break. So that is something that does happen. So if he's not released, he's not released. And that is a blow to Finland's chances. They also won't have Aaron Kivihariu, who is a, a top draft prospect for this year. He's injured, will not be able to play. Um, you know, probably would have been a, a key guy if, if, if healthy, uh, didn't play on the team last year, even though a lot of people expected him to. Uh, but that is a guy that'll be, you know, sorely missed as well. Where Finland has some advantages, I think they've got good goaltending. Nicholas Coco, if he does get the net, um, he's got an ability to play the position very strongly. Emil Vinny, uh, they they have guys that can play. Um, in that position, and uh, you know, Nicholas Coco being a, a Seattle Kraken draft pick. Lots of Kraken draft picks, by the way, in this tournament. So if you're a Seattle Kraken fan, you're feeling pretty good about the number of Kraken picks we have in here, uh, including a guy like Yanni Neiman. You know, you guys, so you got Yanni Neiman, Casper Haltunen, uh, yeah, yeah, Kupalainen. You've got you know guys like Lenny Haminaho, Jesse Kiskinen. This is a team that is going to be made by. Their forward depth, and if they have enough scoring, if those guys are able to do enough, they're going to be a problem. Um, I don't think this is a team that is going to beat you overwhelmingly with skill. They're going to beat you with work ethic, which has been the Finnish way for so long internationally. But this is one where I'm I'm very fascinated to see what ultimately happens uh, between Finland because this is a you know defensively, I think there's certainly some concern about what they're able to bring with them to this tournament. You know, uh, on the blue line, there's just not a ton there that you feel super strongly about in terms of, you know, are these guys going to move pucks effectively? Are they going to, you know, defend at a high enough level? They do have some size back there. They have, you know, multiple draft picks. So it's not like they're unknowns, Uh, but it is an issue. And given who they're missing, you just wonder, is this Finnish team going to compete for a medal? Are they a legitimate contender for a medal? Um, Being in the group with both Canada and Sweden, you think about, well, could they potentially slip into third place in that group? And if they're in third place in that group, they're at risk of playing one of Czechia or USA or uh, Slovakia in that next phase. And that's a tough out right, right away in that, in that group. That's just the way the group's worked out. So we'll see if Finland has enough to battle through that. So a lot there to track with Finland. But will they be a medal team? Harder to say, but I I am excited to watch that team play because I do like their forward group. I like it even better if they get Kemmel. Um, If not, a little bit of a tough road to hoe, but they'll have the goaltending and they're often play sound team defense. So their structure is really gonna have to be the factor here as it has been for them in years past uh, as we've seen them beat more talented teams with good team defense. The last team that I'm going to give a, a broken out preview to is Czechia. And the Czechs are going to be interesting. Silver medalists from last year. They're going to be missing quite a bit from what they had last year. Um, you know, Thomas suhanek their goaltender, their top two defenseman, you're a check and spot check. But they will have a pretty good roster. And they will have one of the guys that I think could be among the top scorers in this tournament, could be, you know, an MVP candidate based on, you know, we've seen plenty of teams that didn't make the, Final four teams that were still in the MVP discussion. And having a top line that you can rely on goes a long way. So Yuri Kulic is the guy to me. He's the key to everything. If he's if he's on fire, he gives them a chance. He gives them a chance because he's a good offensive player. He's a goal scorer. And he can make their power play deadly. You make enough mistakes against Czechia, guys like Yuri is they're going to bury it. He's been playing the EHL for two years. Got his first NHL game. You know, I think if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, this is a guy you should absolutely be excited about. And, and I think that he's a guy that you're going to watch, want to watch closely and see him take a step. Then on that top line, you also have Matias Sapovalov. You have Edward Shala, two guys with world junior experience, guys that have a little bit of size to him. Shala, a high-end playmaker, you know, he hasn't necessarily had a great season, which I think is a bit of a concern. Um, but, you know, in this setting with this group, with the familiarity, I think that that will help him. And then Matias Sopovilev, a good all-around center, Vegas Golden Knights pick. Um, you know, good size, can make plays, can get in, uh, get in on the four check. I think he's gonna be a very important player as well. Check's got a lot of big players on their roster, especially up front. They have some big guys on the back end as well, but the biggest guy of them all is Michael Horable and net, six foot six, two hundred and nine pounds, currently playing for UMass. And UMass sending two import players to the world juniors. They've got uh, Harabo with the Czechs. And then they also have Danslok Melis with the uh, Latvians. And we'll talk about Latvia in a second here. But Czechs' hopes probably rest on their goaltending. I don't think they have the depth of scoring that will be allow them to keep up, even with like the likes of Slovakia, even with uh, Finland. But they are dangerous because they've been in this position before. They have some experience. They have guys that can play. And then if they get the goaltending, anything is possible. That's so critical uh, here and i think they're going to have a good power play i think they're going to score quite a few goals um but will it be enough to overtake some of the top teams that remains to be seen so rounding it out with our last four teams the other teams in here switzerland germany norway and latvia i think latvia is very intriguing it's one of their best age groups they this uh at the under 18s 2 years ago their 2004s beat sweden in the preliminary round for the first time ever uh dan slok melis sandis vilmanis Two guys that have, you know, come to come, come to play and they are always ready, and that helps a lot. Uh goaltending is obviously super critical to Latvia. They've only had success when they've gotten the goaltending. Um, you know, they don't have a ton of high end at that position. They don't have great size, you know, they don't have necessarily the guys that they've had before. Decent size on the blue line, decent size up front, but really it's those guys Loke Melis and Vilmanis as the two guys that are going to be critical to their success. I think that they can avoid relegation pretty easily with the group that they have. Um, I don't think they're at risk for that, but that is something that, you know, with, with these four teams that we're talking about, that's absolutely um, that's absolutely possible. So something of note there with, with them is if, if they can, if they can get their big guys going uh, you know, Latvia is in the mix to get into the quarterfinal and then, uh, you know, could make, things a little more difficult for their opponent, but I think that they have a chance, but it's not a lock because also in group a, and this is the group that includes Canada, Finland and Sweden as well is Germany. And Germany actually has a roster that is, um, you know, they've got a couple of draft picks. Julian Lutz is probably the guy that, that the eyes will be on. He's often been the top player in the 2004 birth year for them. They have a very heavy 19-year-old lineup, very heavy 19-year-old lineup, where most of their guys will not be returning next year. So they've got some talent there. I think you've got you know Julian Lutz, who's playing in the USHL right now um, with the Green Bay Gamblers, uh, a huge add in the USHL for him. He's a goal scorer. He has size. He has skill can he do, can he help them here very well possible uh for that um additionally like Luca Hauf is another guy that i think could play very very strongly for this team uh currently playing in the WHL this year Norin Pinocca, uh, one of their defensemen that's been drafted by the Buffalo Sabres Kevin Bicker uh the other draft pick on this team drafted by Detroit if they can get some goaltending if they can get you know their big guys to to score for them they have a chance to avoid that relegation round, but it is going to be tough because I think Latvia is a better team than they are. I think they have a little bit more, but this, you know, Germany has been a tough out in the last few tournaments. So don't count them out entirely. On the other side of the bracket, I think Switzerland has to feel very fortunate that they're not in the same bracket with one of Germany or Latvia because I think that they would be more at risk if one of those two teams was playing against them because I think that the Swiss roster. Um, and the Swiss, in general, over the last couple of years um there has been a fairly significant drop off in talent. They are not producing the nico Heishers, the 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 timo myers the you know even a couple of years ago, just having guys like Nando Eggenberger and different guys that were you know probably not going to be n h l players but played a very strong role at this tournament. I don't necessarily know if they have those players. They have one NHL draft pick on the roster, Rodwin Dionisio, who plays in the OHL um, and uh, is actually American born, but Swedish or Swiss citizen, um, dynamic o- offensive defenseman, a guy that I think is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he scored a, a critical uh, shootout goal for the the Swiss last year and hit the gritty right afterwards. So he's got a little bit of the flair as well. Uh, but, that's a guy to watch um, for Switzerland beyond him. Not a whole heck of a lot more. I I don't think this is a roster that, you know, I don't think it's a given that they move past Norway in the preliminary round. They'll have a very critical preliminary round game against Norway, because I think that the gap between USA, Slovakia and Czechia and Switzerland and Norway is pretty significant and it's less so between Norway and Switzerland. So Moving on, the Norwegians have one player that we're all going to be watching, and that's Michael Bransag-Nygard, who is a first-round caliber prospect in this year's NHL draft. When you have a player like that, if you are one of the lower four teams in this tournament, having that one player that can do it is huge. The question is, can he do it at his age? You know, he's a late 2005 birthdate, first-year draft eligible, 18 years old, you know, decent size, high-level compete. Um, currently playing in the Hockey Allsvenskan in, in Sweden. That's the guy we're going to be watching very closely. But I think beyond that, I don't have a great handle on the rest of their team. I mean, they do have Casper Magnuson, who plays for Bemidji State, and you know was a guy that you can watch on Flow Hockey regularly. Um, but you know, again, these are players that are kind of down the lineup and, and, and not necessarily star players. So we'll see what kind of fight Norway puts up. I think they're at strong risk of relegation once again, uh, but they earn their way here and now they have a chance to prove themselves. Uh, and we get a chance to see Michael Bransag Nygaard in his own age group, uh, which is going to be good for draft watching. And, and we'll watch him more carefully in those games that involve, uh, you know, the the p- more similar opponents. You want to see how those guys act uh, last there. So really excited. That's the field of the tournament. Um, As I mentioned, we will be on site. We will be at many of the games. It's in Gothenburg. Everything is really close. Public transportation. Really looking forward to seeing more games than I've previously ever been able to see at a World Juniors. Our coverage will obviously focus a lot on Team USA, but we'll also be taking a look around the tournament. We'll be tracking the prospects. We'll be giving you in-depth analysis the whole way. Um, we'll be reviewing video while we're out there as well. It's all going to be nonstop world junior coverage on Flow hockey. So do not miss it. It is my favorite thing to do. Can't wait to do it for you guys this year. All right, moving on. We are going to go to our listener Q and a, and I put out a call for questions. You can hit me up on Twitter at any time at Chris M Peters on Twitter. And I will, I will try to answer your questions on the podcast, put out a call. Four World Junior specific questions, because this is the World Junior Championship Preview Extravaganza, uh, which is not how we branded it. It's just what I keep saying, Uh, because this particular episode is going to be longer than most other episodes. So you give it a catchy name, and then all of a sudden, maybe more people listen. I don't know. I don't know. Is that how it works? I'm not sure how marketing works. I just don't know. But anyway, moving on. Uh, We're going to start our listener Q and a, and we've got a lot of different questions from a lot of different questioners covering a lot of different teams. So love to see that. And we are going to start it off with Nate Hawk, who sticks sticks with team USA. And he asks, can you see Oliver Moore playing much for team USA? I see he is an extra in a lot of line scenarios. Good question there, Nate. And I think the answer is still unclear. Um, I would say that Oliver Moore is at risk of being potentially the 14th forward. Um, I think that he's more likely to be the 13th forward, or maybe even a fourth line wing. Um, he is unlikely to play up the lineup. The thing is, is that he does have the versatility to do so. Uh, I think with the speed that he brings to the table, and he'll be one of the fastest skaters in this entire tournament. With that speed that he brings to the table. I think he can may be a difference maker for this team. I also think that he's going to play, you know, could play on the penalty kill, could do a lot of things for Team USA. Steve Miller is Team USA's PK coach, and he coaches Oliver Moore on a regular basis at the University of Minnesota. If anybody's going to know what he's capable of, it's him. And so I would not be shocked to see Oliver Moore killing penalties and, and playing that way. But ice time, next year he's going to potentially be a top six uh, top six forward. This year, it's just too deep, just too deep. It's not a slight to him. He's an excellent prospect, an excellent player, a guy that's going to have a big role on this team next year, but it's not his turn yet. So he'll play down the lineup, and I do think he'll play um, somewhat regularly. I don't think he'll be the 14th forward, but I think that still is yet to be determined. There's still an ongoing competition, uh, and Team USA will come to that determination before they finalize their roster in terms of what they submit to the IHF. They don't have to do that until Christmas night. And uh, they probably will wait right up until the wire to make their decisions. All righty. So coming up next, where do we go from here? Well, we're going to go to Greg. And Greg is asking the million-dollar question for Team Finland. Where's Joachim Kemmel? Where is Joachim Kemmel? So Joachim Kemmel right now is with the Milwaukee Admirals playing in the American Hockey League. And Kemmel is, you know, he's having a decent season. Like, you know, he's I, – I actually got a chance to see him live earlier this year playing against the Iowa Wild. Um, and, you know, he looks like he belongs. But you could also see still very young, still doesn't have a lot of size, doesn't have a lot of strength. You know, he's still finding his way in the pro game. However, you know, you look at what he did last year. He joined the team at the end of last season, 13 points in 14 games. This year, 17 points in 23 games. Um, more assists than goals. You know, he's known more for his goal scoring. He had four points at last year's World Juniors, didn't necessarily have the best showing there, nor did Finland. Um, but this is a guy that I think, you know, in all other circumstances, you'd want on their on your roster. First-round draft pick of the National Predators um, and, you know, an outstanding player uh, in his own right. But if he's not there, you have to start leaning on other players. And that brings us to our next question. And that's one comes from Maxime and Maxime asks, what do you expect from team Finland? I feel like this team doesn't have enough firepower offensively. They would need Joachim Kemmel so bad. You know, I I'm not as concerned about their forward group because I think they have guys that can score. Um, I am a little concerned about their overall team pace. I'm a little bit concerned about their ability to, to score consistently but i do think they have enough forwards up front that can produce you know i, I like guys like Jesse Keeskin and who can kind of get after it on the forecheck and get in, get in the zone you know kind of be a needle in the side of of his opposition kasper haltunen you know tr- historically has been a solid player a guy that can score some goals for them um you know that and use that size uh yanni is another guy where it's like just another big body difficult to contain it's going to you know challenge some of the smaller blue liners you know so i think finland has enough there i just don't see enough depth compared to what other teams have for them to really contend for a medal. And that's really where it gets interesting. Will they, will they contend for a medal? I think every single year Finland is in the mix for it, but the last couple we've kind of felt, well, what happened to this team? They kind of go away at times, um, you know, and just to think two years ago, they were playing for a gold medal against Canada and, and mere seconds from winning the thing until Mason McTavish happened. So um, always interesting to watch what Finland does because they always play with such tremendous structure and and some really good team play. So let's take a look at Canada next. And the next one comes from noted Bruins fan, Mike. Mike has a question about a couple of different Bruins prospects, and including Matt Poitras. So he says, what do you think Matt Poitras' role ultimately looks like and where will he slot in? Also, how big of a role do you think Dan Melis will play for Latvia? Well, Mike, I, I think that the Boston Bruins would not have sent Matt Patra to Team Canada unless they had assurances that he was going to play a substantial role. Um, and that, to me, is probable at this point. So I think Matt Patra will be a top-tier guy for um, Team Canada. I think he'll be a top-six center, um, and he'll be a pretty critical piece for them. Um, as far as Dan Melis, what is – how, how big of a role will he play for Latvia? He's one of their most important players. He is going to be their captain. He has typically been one of their best players internationally, you know, having played college hockey this year, I think he's played at a level where he's going to be able to better handle the world juniors than he did in years previous. Um, And I got a lot of time for him as a, as a prospect and a player. Um, I think that he's a good college player. He's going to be a top tier player forward for Latvia, and they're going to need him to be uh, in order to stay up, and I do think that they will stay up uh, and avoid relegation here. So we are staying on the Poitras line of questioning because the next one comes from Troy, and I think it's a good good kind of thing to break down just beyond the actual hockey of it, but this one comes from Troy, and he asks, obviously getting an NHL caliber player is huge for any country, but just how big of an addition is Matt Poitras to this group not being nearly as strong or not being nearly as strong as some other Canadian teams have been in the past. Do you think he plays on a top line with Geeky and Savoy? Certainly possible that that's where he ends up playing Troy. And, and you know, I think that they're going to explore all options. I think adding a player like that does change the way you want to structure your lineup. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see exactly who becomes the odd man out as a 13th forward um, uh, when you basically have a top six guy. Um, and we have another question about that later, which we'll get to then. But, you know, in terms of what Patra brings is that, you know, Canada lacks experience, but now you have a guy that's played in the best league in the world. He's coming, you know, he's the world juniors is not a gigantic step down from the NHL. I mean, everything is a pretty large step, but in terms of pace, the time you have to make decisions, the physicality, different things like that, you know, what you're dealing with is players that are not nearly as experienced as the ones that you just saw in the NHL. So hopefully, you know, as far as Patra goes, he's picked up some things in the NHL He's learned a lot from that, and now he's going to go ahead and bring that to Team Canada. So, um, you know, the thing is is that even with Patra, this is still not a great Canadian forward group. It's not a wow-you, um, blow-you-away forward group. It's still very good, and it is better with Patra on it. I think that keeping that spot open for Team Canada, they had a pretty good idea that they were going to get somebody. I think they were really hoping – that, you know, it would either be Matt Poitras or Zach Benson. They end up getting the center, and that does help them to a certain degree because now you, you have more options for what you do with Macklin Celebrity. But either way, I think Poitras is playing a big role for Canada. They wouldn't have let him go in Boston if they didn't think he was going to play a substantial role, um, and he could be a critical player uh, for this Canadian roster that we've talked a little bit in less, under, you know, kind of o- underwhelming terms. All right. So let's move on to the next one. And this one comes from Bert and Bert reminds us that a great way to get a question answered on the podcast is with flattery. And Bert says, thank you, Chris, for the great content. You're welcome. And thank you for that. A man of the people getting the listener questions in on the pod. Also true. Appreciate that. Uh <laughs> Uh, do you think Danny Nelson sticks on one of the power play units for the team USA? Also, any thoughts on overagers who could shine? Guys like Alard, Polkin, Beckner, Repchik, or Pulkamp. Uh, well, thank you very much, Bert. Uh, I think that there's always the potential. 19-year-olds are going to play well, guys that we don't know as well. You know, Polkamp is drafted by the San Jose Sharks. So, you know, he's not gonna necessarily prove it for from a draft perspective. But I do think Owen Allard being on Team Canada you know, does raise a few eyebrows. It gives him a better chance to get some looks and and that's going to be uh, pretty important for him. Uh, now, as for the question about Danny Nelson sticking on the American power play unit, I think that there's the chance that he does. Um, I do think that based on the way that Team USA has structured their practice, Rucker McGrady has not been on the power play um, in camp. I don't think that that's necessarily going to continue. Um, he was on the top power play unit at the last world juniors. I think that the thing is, is that the role that he typically plays in the power play is net front. And what happens at the net front? You tend to take a beating. Um, and so that is why I think they're trying Danny Nelson there. He's bigger. He's got, str- he's healthier and he's got the strength right now uh, to do that. Whereas you may not necessarily want to put McGroity at risk in that kind of situation. But the thing about Nelson is he's got the size. I think his hands have improved. His shot has gotten better. Um, I just like the way that you, at the at the camp, he was absolutely snapping pucks around uh, with authority. I think there's a, a newfound level of confidence in Danny Nelson. I think that he has done wonders for his game at Notre Dame. I think he is a competitor. And on top of that, he's a big guy that can play offensively. And now you know, he he was one of those guys where it's like, you know, he's probably on the bubble for this team. And now you can almost not think like, how could he not be on the team? And that's basically where we're at right now. So um, I'd say if McGroarty gets into a position where he can play on the power play, he's more likely to play in the role that Danny Nelson is in. Um, But it is not out of the question though, that Danny Nelson stays where he's at. Um, But in terms of uh, other overagers who could shine, um, I'm looking at Hugo Haviland, the goalie for Sweden. I've talked about him quite a bit. You know, I think that does he get drafted? Still probably no. It's hard for a 5'10 or so goalie to get drafted. Um, but if he has a gold medal at the World Under-18s, a gold medal at the World Juniors, all of a sudden you're like, hmm, you know, this guy seems to get the job done on the biggest stage. Um, maybe that gets him some more fans. So that's one that I'm definitely watching. The guys that you mentioned, Allard, Pulkinen, you know, all those guys, there's certainly plenty to watch there. And I think if you're an NHL scout and a pro scout, that's what you're watching for. You're watching for these undrafted guys who maybe stand out, um, who either deserve a chance to be drafted or it's a guy you're taking notes on to sign as a free agent down the line. A lot of that happens here. Uh, don't forget, Artemi Panarin was once uh, in this tournament as an undrafted guy. was awesome for a gold medal Russia team in Buffalo. And a few years later, he's on NHL contract. So those things are remembered in the scout notebooks. All right. Now we get to a question that's very open-ended, and I appreciate that. So we can talk about a number of different countries, but you probably know where I'm going with this one. Avco Cup asks, which country do you expect to have the best power play in the tournament? Well, there's a lot of good teams. I think the Czechs are going to have a good power play. Canada is going to have a good power play. The Swedes are going to have a very good power play. Um, but I do think, based on what I've seen, Team USA is poised to have the best power play. A lot of first-round draft prospects, two elite puck-moving defensemen, two guys that are among the highest-scoring players in college hockey. You've got, on your top unit, you've got Lane Hudson, you've got Ryan Leonard, you've got Cutter Goche, you've got Isaac Howard, um, you know, you, you've got... Uh, uh, Gabe Perot as well, so you've got players that can absolutely move pucks around and, and create a lot of havoc and create some some really great opportunities um, for Team USA to score. So I really like that group. We'll see if that stays intact. On the other side, you have Danny Nelson, Danny Nelson at the, the net front. You have Gavin Brindley in the bumper. Could be Gavin Brindley. Could be Frank Nazar. We'll see how that all plays out. Both of them got looks in that position. Seamus Casey at the top of the point, Will Smith on the right flank, and then on the left flank, Jimmy Snuggerud, who's a great trigger man. So you've got two number one power play units. I mean, you, I'm I'm saying one and two. I don't know which one is technically going to be the top one. I mean, you think the one with maybe Cutter Goche is the top one, but then you say, okay, well, the other one has Jimmy Snuggerud. Basically, Team USA is going to attack this with a two-headed monster. This is where you want to get whichever one is going better at that game that's who you go with. I just don't think there's another team out there that is going to put together, you know, 10 players better than those 10 in the roles that they've been signed up for. You've got elite facilitators like Will Smith, like Gabe Perot, um, you know, gritty guys that like 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 Gavin Brindley, Danny Nelson, Ryan Leonard, um, you know, trigger men like Cutter Goche, Jimmy Snuggaroo, top of the point guys like Casey and Hudson. I just think that that's, the, to me, the best group of of players that you can kind of put together. Um, but special teams critical. If Team USA's power play is going, they're going to have a great chance to win the tournament, and they have all the weapons at their disposal. All right, our next one comes from Anthony, and he asks for some dark horses for this world junior, like last year's Ludwig Jansen. So Jansen was a guy that was just kind of came out of nowhere and just lit it up for Sweden. Um, and, and, you know, drafted by Florida and, and you're just trying to say, well, where did that come from? Um, well, you know, I think this year there's going to be a number of guys like that, you know, kind of later draft picks. I think Adam Sikora for, for Slovakia is a guy that when he's been at the top of his game internationally, he's played as an underager. He's played at a men's world championship, um, now he's got a chance to really force the issue. He's played in the AHL this year. He's gotten some great reps. That's a guy that I think could be an impact player for a team um, that, that makes a, makes a big-time uh, performance. I also think Maxime Sturback is a you know, second-round draft pick. Um, but last year at this tournament, to me, that is what solidified him as a top-two-round pick in the NHL draft. This tournament showed he can defend at a high level. He can play with top players. He can match up against tough lines. Um, he played a ton of minutes last year as a, as a young player. And now he's got that opportunity to do that again. I, like I said, I think Slovakia is a team that is going to make some waves in this tournament. And if they are a guy like Maxim Sturback is going to have a huge say in what happens there. You know, I think beyond that, you know, you know, there's just so many players, you know, Who's going to be under the radar really, you know, and, and what guys for, for team Canada are going to show up, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to underrate Jordan Dume, who's not a, a necessarily a high draft pick, but he's super offensive, you know, so I don't know if he's necessarily a dark horse, uh, but you know, I also look at the undrafted guys and I mentioned them so many times on the podcast, but I'll do it again. You know, Hugo Haviland again, you know, I, I just, I don't necessarily think these are guys that are always going to be NHL prospects, but they could have a big world juniors and he's, they're the kind of guys that you remember. You know, I think if you're a fan of the world juniors, remember the name Dennis Godla or maybe uh, Benjamin Kahn's like these goalies that had these miraculous tournament runs didn't lead to an NHL career, but we're still talking about them. So, um, or at least the sickos are, and yes, we, I am definitely one of those. So uh, very intriguing, definitely excited to see, you know, who those guys can be, Uh, but yeah, Ludwig Janssen last year, boy came out of nowhere to really uh, pop in in terms of his point production. All right, our next one comes from Deep Sea Hockey, and this is uh, the first game is against Finland on December 26th for Team Canada. Who do you think will be the extra player? After Carson Rakoff wasn't on the power play units at practice, I suspect he may be a candidate. It's not out of the question. I think Matthew Platra coming in, um, having a Carson Rakoff who has been – primarily played in the top six, it means somebody gets knocked down. And like, you know, they, the way that Hockey Canada structures their lines, very typically a Carson Rakoff is not a guy you want on your third or fourth line. So maybe that does mean he's the 13th forward. Um, whether he is or not, there have been plenty of occasions where 13th forwards have come through in the clutch for teams. It, it's happened for USA a number of times. It's happened for Team Canada a number of times. Um, the thing is for Carson Rakoff, it's to be ready for anything because he's had a tremendous year. I think he's taken a big step forward developmentally. I think the consistency has been there more. He's very deserving of this opportunity that he's been given with team Canada, but now he's going to have to show that he can fit a role. And that's not always easy for players that are stars, uh, like Carson Rakoff is. So we'll see where he ends up. All right. Our next one comes from TJ and TJ I really like this question because it goes so off the beaten path. And I can tell just like me, you are a world junior junkie. All right. This one from TJ thoughts on the relegation format would much prefer a division one, a tournament in early December, where the winner moves into the empty world junior slot too many times. An old team graduates division one, a to get relegated again with a younger team. Great point, TJ. Great point And to Provide further context for people that may not know what TJ is talking about. Every year, 10 teams are in the World Junior Championship. One of those teams, one of those 10 teams will be relegated. Uh, used to be two teams that would get relegated down to Division 1A. Um, and Division 1A is right below. They, they have a tournament every year. It just happened. Kazakhstan, welcome back to the World Juniors. They just won the Division 1A uh, last week. And yes, now they have to wait a full year before they can enact that. So there are some practical reasons why it exists this way, but TJ, I think there are ways that we could change the format for relegation so that the players that earned the world junior promotion get to experience the world juniors. You have to remember the double IHF is set up in a way that all of the tournaments kind of follow the formats of, um, of of the men's world championship, which is, you know, the, the most important event on the international calendar, as far as the double IHF is concerned. Um, And with relegation with that, you know, there, you don't have to worry about age el- eligibility because those players will have an opportunity to be part of the team at the World Championship the following year. So if your team wins the Division 1A tournament and then you come into the, you're, you usually have to wait that full year, um, very often many of the players that were part of that team have aged out and are no longer World Junior Eligible. My solution, and, and I agree with you, I think it'd be great to give those players the opportunity to experience the World Junior Championship, but the World Juniors isn't going to move, and the, I don't know necessarily you know that Division 1A is going to move, but there are breaks built into an international calendar, and I wonder if that November break could be the one where you say, we're going to get our Division 1A tournament together, whoever wins moves on, and then they get to go play in the World Junior Championship in December logistically it's difficult though. Cause you have to remember all of these players are coming from their different clubs. They're, you know, they're, they're coming from all over the place. Um, the division one, a tournament this year was in Budapest. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a lot of different types of travel. Um, you know, it's been in Asia, it's been in Mexico, it's been, you know, it's been in all these different places. Um, and, and so that's, that's another kind of thing that you have to think about with team, with teams and, you know, for me, the, the thing about it is, is that you know, I, I would love, I would love for for team, uh, for for the team that like Kazakhstan to be in this tournament, but I think logistically it would be very difficult to do all of that travel, especially when the the tournaments are in North America, which is very often. You know, we're talking about a lot of different travel, so I think it's a little onerous to put that travel, uh, um, burden on those teams. But I also think that the IHF should try to find more ways to get, it it enhances, to me, it enhances the desire for promotion. Now, the players that win promotion still get to celebrate, but then they don't get to reap the benefits the following year unless they're still age eligible. And we see it happen so often where, um, you know, your team has a strong birth year, they're in it, and then they're not the next year um, because the next birth year didn't have nearly the depth. So uh, great question, TJ, you truly are a world junior junkie. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything change to it soon, but if there was a way to move that division one, a tournament to earlier in the fall um, and be, you know, compliant in the international breaks, or maybe even, you know, at the very end of summer uh, perhaps that's the way to do it. Um, and it is something that I think the double IHF should explore to enhance, especially now that we know that without Russia, the tournament's competitiveness is, is, is a little interesting. And, um, you know, I don't know when Russia will be allowed back if they'll be allowed back because there are enough teams in the double IHF and countries in the double IHF that will say no, but that's a story for another time. So great question from TJ. Love that. We got to talk relegation round, uh, only true sickos. No. So, uh, thank you for that. All right, another fun question. This one comes from Gene. It gets our thinking caps on, and Gene asks, "Who do you think leads the tournament in points?" I'm thinking it could be Lane Hudson. Also, how much of an advantage is home ice for Team Sweden? Let's answer the second question first. I think you know, I Team Sweden home ice advantage is 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 definitely there. Um, Sometimes you wonder if there's a little pressure um, that can happen too. Sometimes teams falter in that environment um i think that this team will embrace it i think that they're they haven't had this opportunity many of the other um international tournaments uh that that you know that when they won their gold medal it was in germany uh boy was that a fun trip uh not you know staying in munich and things like that but you know that's that is uh that is going to be you know a new experience for a lot of these players is okay now you're on home ice there's more media responsibilities all your families are there um, you know, the eyes of a nation are upon you because the world juniors has come to grow greatly in meaning to the European countries and especially in Sweden. Um, and there has been a lot put into this tournament. And I, you know, I'm thrilled and to, to be there and I hope that we have great environments for those games that do involve Sweden. And I think we will, uh, but it should be a, a real fascinating kind of first foray uh, for a lot of these players into playing on home ice. So. I do think that, uh, you know, to, to get back to your initial question about who will be the top point producers, I think, you know, in all likelihood, it's going to come from one of the U.S., Canada, or Sweden. You know, I think they typically have the best players. I would not completely rule out Yuri Kulich being in the hunt to be the top scorer. He's going to be, like, everything that Czechia does is going to be going through him. Um, he'll be playing probably some of the most minutes of any forward in the tournament. So you take those into account. Um, I don't think that they're in a very difficult bracket either. So, you know, he's going to have games against Norway and Switzerland where he's going to have an opportunity to, you know, potentially rack up some points. Um, and and that's another reason why I think he could be there. You know, we look at a guy like Will Smith, who had 21 points in the Under-18 World Championship just last year. He's playing with his regular line mates. He is comfortable. He is on the power play. He is going to be able to, to do a lot of different things. That's pretty critical. Uh, so I think Will Smith has a great chance. I think you know Cutter Goche, same thing, playing with familiar t- line mates could be one of the top goal scorers in the tournament. Number one power play guy. You know that's another another factor there as well. But you know I think you you do also have to take into account the number of minutes. L- Lane Hudson, for example, will play a lot of minutes and probably play a lot on the power play. Um, you know USA has some weaker opponents that you know you could kind of run up scores on. So that also is a factor. I'm also not ruling out Macklin Celebrini, and I know you know 17 year old, but 17 year old led it last year, and I know that we're talking. Macklin Celebrini is not Connor Bedard. True, he's really good though. I I I I still feel like following Connor Bedard has been the we 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 have lost how good Macklin Celebrini is because he's not as good as Connor Bedard, and no, he's not going to score as many goals. But I'll tell you what, he is an impactful two way center. Who has skill? Who does score? Who set the Canadian single tournament scoring record, uh, or tied it for with 15 points in last year's World Under 18 Championship? That's more points than Connor Bedard had. Um, yes, you know, as an underager, but Macklin Celebrini was 16 last year at that tournament. Um, you know, single-handedly helped Canada win bronze in that thing with with the way that he played in that bronze medal game. So. You know, I, I think that Celebrini is a re- legitimate threat to be one of the top scorers here. But you know, if you if you were to ask me to take the an underdog, Yuri Kulit could be my pick to be the top scorer in this tournament, and um, I think he's a he's got a real chance to do it. So that's my that's my pick. I'm just going to go with it, even though I don't think the Czechia has the depth. I think he's going to be an impact player for them. Uh, JD has a question about goalies and we don't, we, you know, I feel like we haven't talked about the goalies enough because this is a great goaltending tournament. Who is the goalie we are talking about two weeks from now? I think that we'll be talking about Hugo Haviland. Um, you know, because I keep talking about him here, but I think we will talk about him in some way, shape or form. We will talk about whichever of Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler becomes the number one goalie. I think if Slovakia is going to be a medal contender, we'll talk a lot about Adam Guyon. And if Czechia is going to have a chance to be close to what they were last year, we'll be talking about Michael Rabel. To me, I think it's going to come down to one of Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler, because I do think the U.S. is the favorite. And every year that they've won the gold medal, they've gotten the goaltending. Not necessarily like <laughs> it's been interesting because if you think back to 2010, Jack Campbell and Mike Lee were splitting time. Um, they actually replaced Mike Lee with Jack Campbell in the gold medal game. Um, you know, that was pretty incredible. Uh, when they won in 2013, John Gibson was lights out. When they won in 2017, uh, you had a tremendous performance from Tyler Parsons in 2021, Spencer Knight got overshadowed by Trevor egress, but without Spencer Knight, they do not win that gold medal. So it seems, you know, every year there has been that goaltending performance. And if team USA is going to win gold, we're going to be talking about whichever one of Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler takes the reins um, of the U S net because I think that'll be big. And I think we'll always, always talk about Canada's goalie, whether he's successful or not successful, um, in this tournament, because that is really one of the burning questions of the tournament. Does Canada get the goaltending? We will find out very, very soon. And our last question, we get back to the NHL draft slash world juniors. There are a number of top end NHL draft prospects to watch in this tournament, but all eyes are going to be on the guy for team Canada. And that is Macklin Celebrini. So Patrick asks us our final question of today's episode. And he asks. How does Macklin Celebrini affect the Sen's future outlook? Oh, I sense some pessimism in Ottawa. I sense some pessimism. Um, obviously, you know, Macklin Celebrini, wherever he goes in the draft, is going to not instantly change his team's fortunes, but is going to make them feel a lot better. I do think that we're talking about a player that is in, in a high tier. Um, I think that we're talking about a player that could be a difference maker, a perennial all star. The reason that I'm so high on Macklin Celebrini doesn't have as much to do with his skill or his ability, though if he didn't have that, we wouldn't be talking about him in this way, but it's in his approach. I have watched him for the last two years get picked on by every single team he plays against. Everyone goes after him. Everyone's taking shots at him. Jay Pandolfo, the head coach at BU, is saying, hey, can we protect the star players, please? Because everybody's trying to run Celebrini. He played last year through injury and had one of the most incredible seasons in the history of the USHL, which is a difficult league to score in for a veteran player. He did it at 16. Rookie of the year, forward of the year, you know, all that stuff. I can't stress enough how good this player is. And again, in the context of he's not Bedard, he's not McDavid. Could he be at the level of a Jack Hughes? I think he could. Are we talking about a guy that could potentially be a MVP player? I think we could. So Macklin Celebrini... This is an interesting tournament for him because no matter what he does, it is he is going to be the focus of the tournament. We're going to cover the heck out of him at Flow Hockey. I promise you that. We talk about him practically every week on the podcast, but that's because while while we're comparing these recent first-round draft picks, I, I don't think there's been enough hype about Macklin Celebrini this year. And, yes, I realize I'm a draft analyst. It helps that we have hyped-up draft prospects, but – we're talking about a player that could win the Hobie Baker as a freshman, as a 17-year-old freshman, not a guy that was a late birth date like Jack Eichel or Adam Fantilli, a true freshman who accelerated, who should be a senior in high school right now, who's been one of the best players in college hockey, and now very well could be a top six forward for Team Canada at the World Junior Championship. I mean, <clears throat> I'm talking so much that I'm 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 falling into a cough here, but... That's what I think about Macklin Celebrini. I think he is exceptional. And so, if you are an Ottawa Senators fan and you're disappointed with where you're at in the standings and you're hoping that, hey, maybe we could win the draft lottery, no matter what team he goes to, he's going to help and he's going to be a massive, massive difference maker. And that's all I have to say about Macklin Celebrini. And that's all I have to say about the World Junior Championship. So, everybody, you now know that we are. Not going to be on for a couple of weeks. We are going to be focused on covering the World Junior Championship. So make sure you go to flowhockey.tv. There is a collection on there called 2024 IIHF World Junior Championship. Every piece of content that we produce for this event and everything that we produced to this point for this event is in that collection. Make sure you search that on flowhockey.tv to get directly to it. You won't have to go far. Most of our stories for the next two weeks will be about the World Junior Championship. Meanwhile, while you're on TV, don't forget about the Great Lakes Invitational, one of the great college hockey traditions. That will be on Flow Hockey on December 28th and 29th. Michigan State, Ferris State, Michigan Tech, and Alaska all playing. Your great chance to see Artem Levshinov from Michigan State. Great chance to see Blake Patillo, who's been one of the best collegiate goalies of the last couple of years. Um, Ferris State has been a lot of fun to watch this year. And Alaska Fairbanks, one of the teams that every year just seems to hang around and mess up people's seasons, uh, which we love to see. We love the Nanooks. Keep an eye on that. The Great Lakes Invitational on flowhockey.tv. And again, follow us across all of our social media platforms. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get all of our recap episodes. Make sure you are watching all of our videos on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, at Flow Hockey. All of that will help you better... Find and and cover and, and understand the World Junior Championship. We're going to do our best to entertain you, to inform you. And I'm just going to have a whole heck of a lot of fun. And I hope you guys have some fun with me. So stay tuned to all of our social media channels. You can also hit me up at Chris M. Peters on Twitter in case you have uh, any questions or things that you would like to know more about. But we are going to have wall-to-wall World Junior coverage. Do not miss it. And also while you're at it, have a happy holiday. It's great that you spent your time with us. Hopefully this made your drive go a little bit faster if you're uh, uh, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house for uh, your Christmas celebrations. But we thank you very much for joining us. Uh, This is our last podcast of 2023 as well. So just want to say a very special thank you to everybody that has listened all year long. Much, much more to come here on Flow Hockey. The best is yet to come in 2024. Really fired up for a great World Juniors and hope that you guys will join us for the ride. Huge thanks to everybody that asked questions to me. Big thanks to Amanda for producing today's episode and sitting with me through this long episode. And as we do for every episode that takes way too long, uh, if you are just the, the, the code word that you can send me to let me know that you made it through, and I'll send you some celebratory gift of some time, is Kringle. So Kringle is the code word. If you made it this far, congratulations. You get a gift from me on Twitter. Uh, not a gift, but a gif. So, or a gif, depending on your persuasion. Well, it's now time to end the longest outro ever for the podcast. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. Happy holidays. We'll catch you next time.